for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. I said, keep on. <laughs> I said, keep on building. Uh, no matter what's going on in your life, uh, you got to keep on building. Uh, mm, Jesus is going to help you build. Whether you're building a peanut butter and jelly or building another room to your house, you got to keep on. Okay, I'm done. Hi, y'all. <laughs> What's up, fam? Princeton Parker here, your host. I like I like the way Kurt Franklin does it. He gives like a bunch of like random titles that none of which he actually is to us. It's your boy. It's your cousin. It's your nephew. It's your therapist. It's your chiropractor, Kurt Franklin. <laughs> it's like, oh, didn't know that we were connected on so many levels, Kurt. Hi, this is Princeton. Listen, I want to share a sermon with you on this episode. Uh, I'm just, let's, let's cut the small talk, right? Why, why? For what? Let's get to the word. <laughs> I want to share a sermon with you. And the name of the sermon is, this is where I am, not who I am. And when I tell you this was one of the most pivotal sermons I've preached in my life, I think the three that I would highlight in the last three years that have really meant something to me, not really meant something, they all mean something, but I mean, we're just like kind of turning points. Um, we're building without a blueprint that I've already shared with you. Don't worry, I'm just growing that I've already shared with you. And now this one, this is where I am, not who I am. And um, in it, uh, yeah, you just, you you hear a little bit about Princeton in this episode. I was asked to preach um, at my church, Crusade Christian Faith Center um, by my bishop, which is always an honor, my bishop, Bishop Virgil Patterson. And I shared this message on a Sunday morning with the congregation there because I believe that many of us always, always, always define our identity and how we feel our, about ourselves by our current moment in life, right? Like, um, I messed up, therefore I'm a horrible person. And it's like, nope, that mess up is a spot. It's a spot and a space and a moment in time, not a defining of your identity. Conversely, the same thing could be said about what you do very well, Right. People think that I'm in a healthy relationship and so I must be a valuable person. No, <laughs> that relationship is where you are. It's not who you are and the sum total of your identity. And it's interesting because when we don't hold that distinction, our identity fluctuates. When we don't hold that distinction, our identity is always changing and it's always moving and how we feel about ourselves is always moving because we're not grounded. And without that grounding, you're defined by whatever space and season you're in. 
And you have to be at a space where you can fully feel the moment that you're in without allowing it to become how you define yourself. Because if it is how you define yourself, then you're going to begin to make decisions out of that instead of making decisions from a whole place of understanding. This is who I am. And that doesn't change no matter what season or space that I'm in. And so I want to share this message with you and I hope that you'll enjoy it. I hope that afterwards you will uh, um, understand a little bit more about me and, and why this season of my life has looked the way that it has. And so I want to share this with you. In true churchy fashion, I'm going to serve, oddly enough, I made that Kirk Franklin joke. I'm going to uh, share a, a song of reflection for you. I'm called I Am. I remember singing this song with the USC Saved by Grace Gospel Choir. I think it was like my junior year probs. And uh, I remember doing this song and uh, just how cool it was. And so I want you to hear this song from Kurt Franklin called I Am. And then immediately immediately following the sermonic selection, that's a joke for anybody listening to this podcast who goes to church. Um, after the song, I'll take you right into the sermon, okay? Be encouraged. Whatever is happening, your achievements, your trauma, what you do well and what you fail at, mm, that stuff is where you are, not who you are has a way of convincing us that our list of things to be thankful for is quite short. We look at the amount of money in our account. We look at where people are versus where we wish we were. Um, we look at the things that we thought we would have, and we look at the current struggles, our temptations and our frustrations. And so we become convinced that somewhere in all of that, the list of things to be thankful for has gotten lost. Thank you for an opportunity to come back to your house and remember the cross. As we remember your marvelous work, we're reminded that if you never did anything else, when you decided to give your life so that we could be saved, that was marvelous. So we take great pleasure in giving you relentless glory and praise. Even if everything ain't all right, it's already marvelous because you have done the unthinkable and that was to save us. So now, Lord, we turn to your word. Someone needs a word to replenish them and strengthen them and give them direction and comfort. I pray, God, that you would remove me in this moment so that there would be no blockage to the word that you intend to get forth. And that the people who you have sent here to have an encounter with you would leave filled with everything that they need. Father, we give you great glory, great honor, and great praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Matthew chapter 4, book of Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in Matthew 4. And spend some time in Romans chapter 8. Anybody glad to be in the house of God this morning? God is amazing. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read there and I'm going to read a passage of scripture from Romans chapter 8. Um, God bless you to our bishop who we celebrate today, who is a man of God. Can we just take a moment and just give our bishop some love and some respect and some appreciation? God bless you, man of God how we celebrate you and how we honor you and love you, a man of great love and great wisdom. And I was rushing up here because I want to honor the time, um, but this is such a magnificent opportunity to preach for him on his birthday. I didn't take this lightly and in fact tried to uh, shove it away, but was not afforded the opportunity to do so. And so I stand before you very honored and privileged in my prayers that the word that God shares will encourage your heart. Did not we enjoy Sister Tamika who just ministered under the power and anointing of God? God bless you. Man, 
we celebrate them. Her husband, Brother Warris, is here with her. God bless you, sir. Um, they are integral parts of this ministry, and this music department would not be what it is had it not been for their labor of love. And so to have y'all hanging out with us is very cool for me and for Bishop. It was cool for me, too. I mean, it's, it's for Bishop, but I enjoyed it if we're just throwing it out there. Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read it from the NIV. Tells a story about our Savior Jesus. It says this Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, somebody say, If. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number two, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, somebody say if. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Very quickly, Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things. Somebody say in. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to get all the Sunday morning energy you got in the world rounded up, and I want you to repeat this after me. Say, don't get it twisted. This is where I am, not who I am. Oh, come on, get a little bit more attitude and say, uh, this is where I am, not who I am. Oh, come on, I want you to imagine some people that have underestimated you because you don't look like who you are just yet. I, I want you to get in mind some folks who they, they kind of skipped out on you. They, they kind of didn't believe in your dream. They didn't invest in you. They, they thought that you were a fly by night. And I want you to imagine those folks who passed over you for the job, who passed over you for the encouragement, who passed over you for the loan. I just want you to imagine them in, in your mind. I know they're not here, but picture them and tell them, don't get it twisted. This is where I am not who I am. There's one more person you need to tell this to. I need you to imagine yourself. I need you to imagine the you that struggles with where you are in life right now. I need you to imagine the you that doesn't have faith every day. The you that is a little bit discouraged and distraught. Uh, the you that, that doesn't really believe God all 
the way but still has some challenges because what you're going through doesn't look like what God said you are and I want you to imagine that part of you that doubts that part of you that gives up on the scripture that part of you that doesn't always pray and I want you to tell yourself don't get it twisted this is where I am not who I am I've come to preach to somebody who's in the midst of some stuff this morning you, you, you are sick and, and, and you're going through some grief and you're going through some challenges you, you struggle with depression you, you don't always believe you're not always as spiritual as you desire to be you're going through some stuff and you're not as good as a student as you thought you'd be you're going through some marriage issues I've come to preach you out of a depression out of a loose tie out of a bondage I've come to let you know that this is where you are the sickness is where you are the financial situation is where you are these struggles is where you are but I've come to be the voice of God to you and remind you that even though it's where you are what you are going through does not define who you are oh I'm sick but it's not who I am I'm frustrated but it's not who I am I got issues but it's not who I am I get angry but it's not is there anybody glad that what you are going through is not who you are the enemy's primary desire of dealing with us is to attack our self-concept. The enemy's consistent thrust is to make sure that you look at where you are and attach that as an identity. And whatever you believe about yourself will determine the decisions that you make. So the enemy, when he wants to attack your life, doesn't start with your decisions. He doesn't start with your choices. He doesn't start with your money. He doesn't start with your relationship. He doesn't start with your dream. He doesn't start with your business. That's futile. He starts with what you believe about yourself. Because if you believe about yourself what he wants you to believe, you'll undo your own destiny. He does not have to interrupt your life if he just gets you to believe that this is all you deserve. He doesn't have to mess with your destiny. If he just gets you to believe that, that what you are in right now defines the totality of your identity, then you'll undo it. So what the enemy does is he's actually not really as involved in our stuff as we think he is. What he does is he shows up to have a conversation. He shows up and he tries to convince you that um, you ain't really saved. That sin that you committed proves that you are not as saved as you thought you once were. So how about you just settle and sin again? How do you consider yourself a praying grandmother and you still don't know where your grandchild is? You're, you're not really an effective prayer warrior. How are you full of the Holy Ghost and your marriage is in shambles? How, how could you possibly believe that you are a good husband or boyfriend considering the mistake that you made? How could you possibly consider yourself a man or woman of God saying the words that, that you say? How, how could you possibly be destined for greatness and for wealth and prosperity um, when, when you struggle to pay the lights? How, how can you possibly be somebody called to lead a business and, and, and you got fired from your last job? Um, how, how, how can you consider yourself a clean woman of God considering uh, the, the, the litany of things that you've done? How, how could you consider yourself a, a man of, of God? And what happens is the more he works against the affirmation of the identity of God in us, the more I begin to make choices in line with what he wants, not in line with what God has for me. So in many senses, God's priority is to reaffirm who you are. 
Watch this. Even in God's correction of sin, he still works to affirm who you are. How do I know? I looked at the history of how God dealt with Israel. These were his called out people. These were his chosen ones. These were his who he had made a nation. Now, what's interesting is once he delivered them out of Egypt, his step one was to give them an identity. Okay, you're not with me just yet. I'll try this side. After he delivered Israel out of Egypt, God step one. As Moses went to go get the Ten Commandments, God said, I need to establish who you are. And he began to tell them, you are a nation. You are my people. I am your God. Look at God giving them an identity, right? So that they would never be confused that even though they were about to go into a wilderness, they were still his people. Oh, God, let me say it again. He works to give them an identity so they understand that even though you came out of slavery and you're going into a wilderness, you're still my people. God's waging war with Israel was never the promised land. It was getting them to fully accept the identity that he was attempting to brand upon them as being Yahweh their God. This is why even in his anger against them, you see God sharing things with Israel about their sin. Why would you do the poor and the widow and the orphan like that? Why would you allow the false gods of this area where you are to plague your life? Why would you deceive yourself? Why would you turn away from you? And even after fussing at him, he says, but remember, you're the apple of my eye. Oh, see, that doesn't excite anybody but me because y'all been perfect your entire life. I am so glad that God can yell at me and still let me know I'm his with my crazy self. He'd be like, Princeton, why did you do that? Princeton, you know better than that. Princeton, I delivered you from that, but you're still mine. Why did you do Why are you away from what I told you, but I still called you? Is there anybody glad that God never gave up on you because he knew who you were even when where you were was different? This is the reason why he tells the children of Israel in captivity, he says, while you're in captivity, buy land. While you're in bondage, put some money on some real estate. While you broke, draw up your business plan. <laughs> while you single, get ready for the marriage I have for you. Mm-hmm. while the church kicked you out prepare your first sermon oh god while you're still sick imagine what you're gonna do once you get well oh yeah 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 yeah. while they still trying to figure out when the surgery's gonna happen plan your first vacation baby because this is where you are and if you just give me enough time to work with you i'm gonna change where you are but it's gonna be because you held on to who you are He consistently deals with who they are. It was a Wednesday at about 3.27 p.m. Sat in an office on the second floor of the psychology building across from my therapist. I started going to therapy to begin to work through some of the emotional weight and trauma that had birthed my addiction to pornography. I knew that I had had hands laid on me. I had prayed and I had hikamasad and all that. But it was time to do some very in-depth work about what the enemy had a hold of in my emotional life that allowed me to continue to be plagued by his sin. I was sitting there and this might have been our 
ninth or 10th session and Natalie, who was phenomenal, said to me as I began to work through a lot of guilt that I carried over mistakes that I had made, a lot of the shame that I carried because uh, many of you all have it good. You sinned first and then came to church and you were perfect. Um, what a great story you have, okay? I'm quite jealous of you. That wasn't my story, right? Um, I started this thing when I was two years old. So I didn't get a prodigal son period to go turn up for a little bit and pop bottles and, and uh, sow seed and then come back and shout and be like, he brought me back. <laughs> Mine happened during the week after I had preached on Sunday. Um, it, it's a different level of sin when you struggle and people expect you not to. So I sat there talking to Natalie because it wasn't just guilt about that, but I had seen the traces of my trauma now cause me to negatively interact in relationships. My dating relationship, my relationship with my family and my relationship with my calling. Because when you're not free to accept the truth of where you are, then what you do is begin to abuse God's calling. We'll get to that in a minute. I was sitting in the chair across from her, wounded and burdened with regret, with shame, and also having a hard time accepting the decisions and actions of other people in my life. As we began to work through some of the things behind it, I found grace and compassion for myself and for others, and Natalie said to me something I'll never forget. She said this, it seems like you're finally able to reconcile that that was where you were, not who you were. She then said, it seems that now you're able to be a little bit more patient with your mom, with your church community, with your girl, and with your future self, because you realize that's where they are, not When you think that where you are defines who you are, you now get pushed into the place to prove. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The danger of letting where you are define you is that you feel like you have to prove. I'll say it again the danger of letting where you are define you, right? I'm single, I'm sick, I'm, I just got laid off, I uh, failed in that last test, in the last application, the last relationship. Um, the church didn't accept me, right? I was hurt by somebody, um, abused by someone who I trusted. Anytime you allow that stuff to define your identity, you now are in the position where you feel like you have to prove. Most of us are living life and even our success is not true success because you're not pursuing success for purpose. You're pursuing success to prove. How many of us dated not because God told us to, but you wanted to prove that your ex didn't have that much control over you? 
how many of us have been in situations where you got a job that God didn't call you to because you wanted to prove that you could ball out by a certain age? How many of us entered into friendships or broke other ones because we felt like, um, I got to show you, I got to show you that I'm better. I got to show you that I'm different, right? So we feel like we have to prove. The test of a young man is prove that you have what it takes. The test of an old man is prove that you have something to show for what you invested. Neither one is purposeful. When you're in the position to prove, three things happen. Write this down. The first thing is when you feel like you have something to prove, you will exhaust yourself. I was 22 years old. How old am I now? Hold on. Wait. Wait for it. Okay. Maybe 23 uh, when I started my therapy experience. I realized that I was exhausted. Exhausted. Hairline receding, hair falling out, stress colds, anxiety, headaches, all that. Why? Because every day I was living as though I had something to prove. An image to keep up. You think you have something to prove, right? Expectations that people have instead of submitting to the one that God has, that's thinking you have something to prove. Those of you who are private people, right? Don't tell, don't tell the business. It's because you think you have something to prove. So you live life trying to manage, right? Trying to manage expectation, trying to manage perception, trying to manage people's opinions, trying to manage all this stuff because you think that where you are is really all there is to you. And you become exhausted. Because right when you got this little piece of it, you got to run over here. And just when they get done, you, you, you squash that, okay? They don't, they don't know that you did that, okay? But now the rumor done broke out over here. Who, how did you even know? I didn't tell, oh my God. Okay, so you didn't handle that? You're like, girl, that wasn't me. People just always got their mouth on me and we just, I don't want the saints to know I ain't got no job. So let me just keep dressing up and shouting. Just shucking and jiving. I look good, don't I? And you're exhausted. Number two, when you feel like you have something to prove, the next thing that happens is you start to make small mistakes. You start missing stuff, right? Like, oh, man, I slept through that alarm. How did I do that? I had sleep last night. Your mind didn't get rest because every day you live life trying to prove. Small stuff. How did I miss that number? I'm so much better than that. Like, how did I... You live life trying to prove, and because you're exhausted, you now don't have the strength you need to be good at what you're naturally good at because God gifted you to do it. So areas where you used to excel, now they're talking about your performance. That never used to happen before. I was the best in the game. How did I, that's a small error. How, how did I miss that meeting, man? I'm, what? I'm way better than this. You live life trying to prove. So first you're exhausted. Now you don't have the energy to be who you need to be, right? You're so busy trying to protect everybody else that you haven't done priority number one, which is to love God and to love you. So now from your emptiness, you are now dropping your responsibilities and loving somebody else. Because you don't love you, now you don't have what it takes to love them. 
And then there's nothing more frustrating than when you feel like you've given 150% and somebody tells you you still missed it. When the way God has made you, if you were just you, you can give 25%. And because it's just you and you were gifted to do it, you could have been rocking at it all along. First thing is you become exhausted. Second thing is you start to make small mistakes. The third thing that happens when you feel like you have to prove is you lose the very thing you love. You lose the very thing God promised you. It's how it happened in the life of Israel, right? Every time. They became exhausted because they were like, we want to do this our way and not God's way. Watch this. I'll give you a great example. I don't have a lot of time for this. I got to get to Matthew 4. Check out Israel's desire for Saul. Saul was not God's idea for Israel. God's idea for Israel was that they be a theocracy. A theocracy. That is a people group headed by a deity. God was their ruler, He was their king. God, I don't have time to labor here. Wanting Saul was a breach of contract. Because remember, God's conversation with Israel after he delivered them from Egypt was, look, I just got you out of slavery. We won. I'm your king. I love y'all. Y'all see what I did to him back there? That was all me. I love y'all. Got y'all out of making them bricks. Y'all all sweaty and, and muscular and... And I let you come out with their riches. I love y'all. All I want is I'm your king. And they say, ah, the theocracy thing. Eh. But why didn't they want it? Because they looked at the other nations and said, they have kings. So in order to be legit, we have something to prove. And God said, you have nothing to prove. Oh, I want to minister that to somebody. Dr. Matthew Stevenson out of Chicago said this, and it changed my life. He said, you have nothing to prove. The same gift they gave to me, I want to give it to you. You have nothing to prove. I'm going to say it again. You have nothing to prove. Come on, say this. Say, I have nothing to prove. Not by deadline not by expectations, not by what people think, not by who has done it before, not what's going on in your family, not how other churches did it, not how other nations did it, not how other managers did it, not how other marriages did it, not how your mama did it, not how her mama did it, not how your daddy did it. I don't care how many generations did it this way. You have nothing to prove. Israel thinks they have something to prove, right? So the first thing is they become exhausted. Why? Because Saul's method is to always abandon God and do what Saul thinks is right. That exhaustion happens, and then what follows? They start to get defeated. Armies that they were way more mightier than, armies that God had showed them, like, if y'all just let me do what I'm going to do in y'all, I don't care how big they are. That was Pharaoh and Egypt. And I got y'all out of there, you didn't have to fight, and you had money coming out. So they start losing to armies that they should have defeated. Small mistakes. And then what happened? What they loved. Their God and their promised land. Either got lost or delayed. Why? Because they got confused that where they were defined them. 
They allowed where they were to convince them that that was who they were. So then out of 42 generations comes a man named Jesus, who in Matthew chapter 4 is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness where he is fasting and consecrating for his ministry. Um, his situational context contradicts his self-concept. He is now in the wilderness. Now, what is interesting uh, before this is just before this, Jesus has been baptized. He has been baptized. He has been baptized publicly. Now, uh, it's not just the baptism because many people have been baptized by John the Baptist, but none of them had the sort of follow-up that the baptism of Jesus had. Gee, Jesus was a unique baptism. Everybody else, they got baptized. You know, stepped in the water. The water was cold. Chilled my body, but not my soul. Wish you could have been there when I came through. Soul corner fire got to hold us to, and they say, hey! That's what happened when everybody else got baptized. They shot and ate some fish, some fried fish. It's like fantastic, yas. Jesus gets baptized. Come out the water. And they'd be like, hey, bro, did, did it just get lighter to you? <laughs> bro, am I tripping? Was there something in that wine? Hold on, bro. Hold on. Is that light? Am I the only one hearing something? It sounds kind of deep like Morgan Freeman. What, 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 what? It's kind of bright. Uh-uh, is that a dove? Child, ain't no doves out here, child. These be pigeons out here. Is that a white bird? Ain't no white birds. Uh-uh, shut up, shut up. He's saying something. This is my beloved. Oh, Raboko Shabbat. Thank you, Jesus. My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism comes with a public affirmation from the father. Now watch this. So just before he went to his test, his identity was affirmed. You missed it. Just before Jesus goes into his first and premier test, God the father affirms his identity. He says, look, you about to get tested you're about to go into a wilderness situation. But before you go do that, before you go into public ministry, I need you to know and everybody around you to know who you are. I've come to tell you before God sends you into a test, he will always confirm your identity. He's in the position where a word has just been spoken over him in his baptism. And now he goes to the wilderness. When you don't know what's in you, you will feel the need to push to prove the word God just spoke. Had Jesus not known who he was, he just had the word spoken over him. That ministry begins. But instead of going and right out to prove, did y'all just hear what the man said? I'm the one. And then go start healing people and preaching and all that. He allowed himself to be led to a wilderness. Jesus leaves his public declaration into a private season of hiding. The proper word for what we see in Matthew 4 is not temptation. The proper word is testing. Everybody say testing. <laughs> testing. Watch this. Before Jesus can live out who he already is, he must go through testing. 
And when you don't really know who you are, you will resist being tested. And you'll blame stuff on the devil. I don't know why they sat me down. That ain't nothing but the devil. I don't know why I got to be uh, out of this. This ain't nothing but the devil. I ain't know why they laid me out. This ain't nothing but the devil. I don't know why they told me I couldn't lead a song. Nothing but the devil. I don't know why they told me I got to go through new members class first. They had nothing but the devil. That church, I tell you, I am, I am a, 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 a prophet priestess. I was anointed tambourine player in the Afro-Methodist Latina Assemblies of Nations. Ain't you know, nothing but the devil. I don't know why I got to be single as fine as I am. I ought to get me something. I don't understand. It ain't nothing but the devil. With how fine I am, I can have whatever I want and get it right now for me to be single. It... I know y'all don't talk like that. Y'all are saved. Y'all just let the Lord do whatever he want to do with you. I get upset. God, I'm ready now. But he says, I will not put anything up that is untested. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean you're ready. David is anointed to be the king, and we don't read where he goes to the palace. He goes right back to slinging sheep. Why? Because he was anointed, but he still was untested. He hadn't attacked the lion and the bear yet that was going to prepare him for David and Goliath. He hadn't gone through the seasons of worship and of adoration and praise. He was untested. For some of us, our problem is that we don't want to have private consecration before our public calling. I'm going to say it again. For many of us, our problem is we don't want to have private consecration before public calling. We think that just because we had our public calling, that that means we don't need to be consecrated. But how many of you know there is something so beautiful about the season where don't nobody know your name? Don't nobody know what you're doing? Don't nobody know you're in school? And let me set my generation free from this. We have to be delivered from our need to be applauded for every little piece of work we do. Let me say it again. We need to be delivered from the desire to be applauded for every little piece of work. Jesus was not in the wilderness taking selfies like, on oh my grind with the Holy Ghost. No! And we want to be applauded. We pray for 10 minutes and we want God to, to, to hail us as an apostle. We haven't done anything. And what you're doing is you're conditioning people to not be impressed by the reveal of what God is doing because they've seen every little piece of your journey so that when you get there, they're going to judge you. They're going to judge you and say that it doesn't matter because they have watched you post every little piece of your journey. Let me tell you this. I don't care how you feel about her. The church could learn something from Beyonce. Oh, I know I lost about 50 of you. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. It's really okay. It's fine. It's fine. Stay with me. Here's why. Because this woman with two children and a marriage and a brand has enough time to go into hiding. She don't post no pictures on Instagram. Everybody else, they got 14 pictures every single day. She don't post nothing for about four months. And then when she come out, she got a world tour, another child, and a whole album you didn't even know she was working on. And the church has been around for 3,000 years and ain't released nothing. When is our next movement? When do we go into hiding and come out with revival? 
When do we go into hiding and come out with the gifts of the Spirit? When do we go into hiding and come out with enough money to change our whole community? She has enough sense that you don't need to live every second of your life before people go do your thing. And they will be mind blown by where you came from. The private consecration is where you learn how to hear God's voice. The private consecration is where you unpack your trauma so that what you've gone through doesn't eat up what you're getting. Many of us have lost relationships and family and opportunity not because we weren't good enough. We didn't stay in hiding long enough to get rid of that ugly stuff that happened to us so that we're not projecting that onto somebody else. The private consecration is where you hone your craft. It's where you get good at what you do. It's where you spend time rehearsing and practicing and crafting yourself. Jesus understood that this is my season of private consecration. Jesus was led of the spirit to be tempted, which we've understood means testing. The job loss is just testing your entrepreneurial spirit. That breakup was just testing. Can you survive what God is going to do with you? That health scare is just testing you. Can you push through and believe God for healing? Can you still love God? Can you still serve even through the pain? That pay cut is just testing you. Can you be a good steward over little before God releases wealth upon you? Somebody shout, it's just a test. Watch this. Jesus hadn't even gotten started yet and encounters the biggest test of his life. Why? Because when you think where you are is who you are, you will feel the need to move ahead of time. When you believe that where you are defines who you are, you feel tempted to move ahead of time. The very first temptation Jesus experienced was, if you are who God said you were, do this before time. And the very last temptation Jesus experienced was on the cross. If you are who you say you are, come down before the cross before time. Your greatest temptation will be to do something before time. Come here, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. We're 90. We're running out of time. God said I was a father of many nations, but I ain't got no kids. That was where he was. So the temptation was I could do something now because Hagar is a person with a womb who's next to me, or I can wait on God. What did he do? He moved before time. And by moving before time, he caused dissension on the very thing that God was going to bless him with. He now can't enjoy the blessing freely because he has to deal with the blessing of purpose and the inconvenience of his impatience. Somebody say it's just a test. It's a test to see where you move ahead of time. The condition of Jesus at this moment is that he is exhausted. He's exhausted from preparation. It's one thing to be exhausted by sin. It's a different type of exhaustion when you're getting ready for your purpose. It's a different level of tired when you've been on the grind, when you've been faithful to God, when you've been really trying to do this thing, and you look up and still don't see anything. And Jesus, he hasn't eaten. He's by himself. He just had this word from God, but he doesn't see anything around him that looks like the Son of God. In fact, the Bible says that wild beasts were around him. It wasn't Simba out there trying to hang out with him. It was literally the hyenas that were cackling. Could you imagine you created these things, and they over here howling at you in your weakness? He's in this moment of vulnerability and Satan starts the temptation by saying if you are who God said you were do something to prove it first one and I'm almost done 
was turn the stones to bread. The temptation or the testing of stones to bread was to get Jesus to abuse the purpose of something that God had created to feed himself. When you don't know who you are, you will use what God gave you for the purpose of his glory to feed yourself. When you don't know who you are, you will take advantage of a position, a relationship, money, and everything in between to feed your insecurity, to feed your pride, to feed your dream of what success meant, to feed your idea of a perfect reality, to feed your idea of what you need to do and and what you wanted to do. And Jesus' first test is, even though you are hungry, watch this, even though you have a right to do this, because it's yours, The stones belong to Jesus. The bread would have belonged to Jesus. He had a right, because it was his creation anyway, to do whatever he wanted with it. But the question is, when you are trusting God and know who you are, will you surrender even the things you have a right to? Oh God, oh God. Will you surrender even the things you quote unquote deserve to fulfill the purpose of God, not your own? One of the dangers that I face as a worshiper, as a creative, is the temptation to be on those keys and to do those runs and to cry to fulfill my own need to be somebody. Many people are preaching, wrecking people because they're not in it because they love people. They're in it because they couldn't make it in a real job, so they decided to come preach. People who are not in a relationship because they need to, because they want to love somebody. They're in a relationship because their mother or father did not love them. So they figured that a romantic relationship was the place to replace that. And when you start to use what God has given you to please yourself, when you start to work what God has put under your control to give your own self glory, when you start to use God's sacred gift that he entrusted you with because he loves you for your own benefit, that's not intimacy with God. That's spiritual masturbation. The idea to use God's holy gift to get off your own insecurities. Satan says, you hungry? It's yours. All you got to do is make it work for you. Jesus says, watch this. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Watch this. He quotes Deuteronomy. That's where this is. Man shall live by bread alone, right? And he says, but by every word of God. Two things here and I'm moving. He says, I don't live by what I deserve or what feeds me. I live by what God tells me to do with it. Second of all, the testing of Jesus is, will you make this bread like the manna they had in the wilderness. When Satan says to Jesus, turn these stones into bread, he's literally telling Jesus, make manna for you the way you made it for them in the wilderness. When you think where you are defines who you are, you will revert to old methods that God is done with. You know how truly free you are by how you respond to pain. If the first moment you get weak, you go back to your ex, you might not be really free. 
If the first moment you get stressed, you go back into the same substances and addictions and lifestyles and patterns that God delivered you from just because you're tired, then you might know that you're not quite free. Jesus says, look, just because that's the way it happened for the wilderness doesn't mean it has to happen that way for me because I've got to go by the word of God for this moment in my life. The temptation, the next one was Satan used the word of God against God. I'm going to hurry to a close. He says, what a word, say. The next test you're going to face when where you are is defining who you are is the temptation to use the word of God out of context. Here's what studying the Bible taught me. Francis Chan says this, who used to pastor. He say, the one thing he learned about this in seminary is that you can make it say whatever you want it to. Anything, anything, anything I believe, I'm pretty skilled at finding one verse, isolating it, and making a whole theology out of it, and fighting you for it. Satan uses the word of God against God. Watch this. This is why it's so important to have a prayer life, because prayer and the prophetic gifts will help you discern the word for this season. Just because that's what the quote-unquote word says doesn't mean that's the word for me right now. That's why I need a prayer life. So I can say, God, this is your word, but what's your word for right now? Last thing. Satan says, throw yourself off this mountain. When you are consumed by where you are, the enemy will plant thoughts of self-harm. It will move from your, from your mental state to your emotional state to your physical state. Kill yourself. End it now. End it now. And he used the fact that, Jesus, if you throw yourself off, they're going to come catch you anyway. End it. Just jump off. I wish that Brother Anthony, that Sister Kate, had known that they weren't alone. That Jesus, the Son of God, was presented with the test and temptation to kill himself. There's somebody right now, and the church doesn't know it because we don't talk about mental illness in the church. We want to pick a messiah over everything. We don't want to talk about chemical imbalances. We don't want to talk about emotional depression that needs to be treated with counseling and with time and listening and space. We don't talk about what it is to wake up and be afraid of light. We don't talk about what it is to lose appetite and to lose strength and to literally use the will to do anything as a result of an actual illness called depression. And so because we don't talk about it, you feel like you can't be open that you're struggling with that. And you're wondering why the church is shouting and we're playing this loud music, but you can't identify with it. That you've had thoughts of self-harm. And I want you to know that you're not alone, that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, went through that very same scenario where it became mental for him. Kill yourself. The church is losing because we are not functioning in every realm of addressing this issue. Jesus has enough fortitude to be able to reconcile that one, he's not alone, that two, there's still more to his life than what is in this moment. He has the, the opportunity to reconcile that, that, that it's not good right now, but I'm on my way somewhere. And Satan says, okay, I didn't win with him there. He takes Jesus to the holy city, which was a representative of who Jesus was called to. And he said, okay, quit your purpose. Just give up early. You'll be fine. 
it looked like an easy win for Jesus where he could get the kingdom without dying for it. Satan said, look, I'll give you everything you see. Just don't do what, what you and God had worked out. But Jesus says, if I get the kingdom without dying for it, then I'll get the kingdom, but sin won't be defeated. Dante, we're about to move. Let's, I'm about to hit this to the end. Here we go. Find somebody who's falling asleep. Just tell them, give them six more minutes. <laughs> the last testing is, when you think where you are defines who you are, you will be tested to accept things because you're desperate. Relationships out of desperation. Jobs out of desperation. Contracts of desperation. But here's what you accept the most. Negative confessions. And we don't talk about that, right? Because those are the small things, right? Like you're good, you're not in nothing trifling, right? You haven't taken any bad contracts, but, but you have allowed the enemy to change what you say to yourself about yourself. Y'all wanna know how Jesus won this? Y'all wanna know how Jesus won this? This blessed me. After all the testings, after all the distractions of where he was, after all the frustration, after all the hunger, after all the sweat, and after all the tears, you know what he said? He said, away from me, Satan. Let me say it one more time, because I feel good there. He said, away from me, Satan. He says, the word says, thou shalt not put the Lord who? Your God to the test. Here's how Jesus won. He had an understanding that me and you, devil, ain't real enemies. The devil is not God's enemy. In order for him to be a true enemy of God, he would have to be of equal or greater value. Let me say it again. In order for God to be remotely threatened by the devil, the devil would have to have equal or greater value than God. But Jesus said, look, the reason why I ain't got to listen to you, the reason why this is where I am, not who I am, is because, fool, you a created being. I'm everlasting. Oh, God, I wish you'd have church with me now. He said, fool, I ain't got to listen to you because I'm your God. And when he reminded himself of who he was, then he was able to say, Satan, get behind me. I wish I had some blood washed believers who understand that Satan is not your enemy. He has a hell that he's going to. He did not defeat Jesus at Calvary. So that means that I got to remember who I am and say, get thee behind me, Satan. What's E flat? Is that E flat? Put me in E flat. He says, put me behind Satan. Oh, I wish I had somebody who was ready to bind the devil. Is there anybody that says, I'm going to bind the devil? I will not allow him to talk to my mind. I will not let him talk to my spirit. I will not let him talk to my marriage. I will not let him talk to my issues. I will not let him talk to my degree. I will not let him talk to my children. I will not let him talk to my future. I will not let him talk to my life. I will not let him talk to my church. I will not let him talk to my bishop. I will not let him talk to my mama. 
I will not let him talk to my daddy because he was a created being. You're already under my feet. Jesus already defeated you at Calvary. So we're not even equals. I am a son of God because Jesus gave me adoption into the royal family. I wish I had a church that still believed in binding the devil. When did we get so weak? When did we get so powerless? When did we get so easily disturbed? I want the generation to come alive in God and say, I bind the devil. I bind the devil in my school. I bind the devil in my home. I bind the devil at Kaiser. I bind the devil on my job. I bind the devil in my relationship. I bind the devil in my girlfriend. I bind the devil in the boyfriend. I bind the devil in my schoolwork. I bind the devil in my church. I wish I had some folks that remember praying grandmothers who would walk on every door and slap some oil on it and say, I plead the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus over my kids. The blood of Jesus over my family. The blood of Jesus over my job. The blood of Jesus over this house. Is there anybody that knows that this is not who you are because the power of the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you? I've got to close now, but the beauty of the text is that Jesus did what Adam could not do. I said Jesus did what Adam could not do. Adam felt like he had something to prove, and so he allowed Eve to convince him. They were partners together in denying what God said, but Jesus came down the scene, and he said, Adam forgot who he was, but I'm the son of God. Now let me tell you what Jesus knew about himself. Can I tell you what Jesus knew about himself? He knew that back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam had messed up, God began to pronounce curses. God began to pronounce curses on Adam and Eve and he began to turn to the serpent and he said now I'm going to deal with you and he said first things first you're going to slither around on your belly the second thing is he said you are going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman he said you're going to bruise his heel but can I give you the good news y'all he said but the thing about it is the same seed whose heel you're going to bruise he's going to crush your head you going to hurt him but he's going to kill you the reason why Jesus survived the temptation he looked at the test and said this is not who I am he looked at his feebleness and said this is not who I am he looked at the beast and said this is not who I am he said I am the seed from Genesis 3 and if I give up the enemy's head won't be crushed you've got to hang on in there because there's purpose in you there's destiny in you you are the promise years back that you don't even know I've come from a generation of people who knew who they were. I've come from people who were able to be in situations and say this is not who I am. Rosa Parks sat on a bus seat and they said woman you got to go to the back and she said this is where I am. It's not who I am. They looked at Martin King and they said why are you a preacher but you're also fighting for justice. Go sit down somewhere. They put him in the Birmingham 
Birmingham jail, but he was writing letters in the jail because he said the jail is where I am, but it's not who I am. They assassinated Malcolm. They said he's nothing but a trouble causer, but Malcolm said this is where I am, not who I am. I come from generations of people who walked through fire hoses, who had dogs put on them, but they still invented stuff. They still went to the ballot and voted. They made it through slavery because they said even though you enslaved me, this is where I am, not who I am. These chains are where I am, not who I am. This poverty is where I am, not who I am. I come from generations of people who saw that I was somebody before this and I'm going to be somebody after it. I was somebody before this relationship and I'm going to be somebody after it. I was somebody before this sickness and I'm going to be somebody after it. I was somebody before this class and I'll be somebody after it. And it didn't just start with them. But all through the Bible, I'm so glad that David was in the sheep field. But he said, this is where I am, not who I am. The three Hebrew boys were in the fire, but they said, this is where we are, not who we are. Daniel slept in the lion's den because he said, this is where I am, not who I am. Joshua shouted when they brought back the grapes in Numbers chapter 13 because he said, this is where we are, but it's not who we are. Israel kept going to the promised land because in the wilderness they said this is where we are not who we are and then a man named Jesus came all the way down from 42 generations and defeated the devil and he was able to go all the way to the cross because he said this is where I am not who I am they put nails in his hands but he said these nails are where I am not who I am they lied on him but he said the lies are where I am not who I am they said he was a hypocrite and they said he was a blasphemer but he said this is where I am not who I am and he said father if it be possible let this cup pass from me but I can't give up the cup cause this is where I am not Oh, help me preach these last three minutes. He said, I will carry the cross with a crown of thorns on my head because this cross is where I am, not. And he hung there on Calvary with blood streaming from every place. But I'm convinced that he saw me in his mind and he said, I've got to do this so that Princeton will know that you're going to go through some crucifixions. You're going to go through some lyings. You're going to go through some floggings. They're going to leave you here and they're going to join you there. You're going to have some losses. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to get down and out sometimes. But I want you to know that if I survived it, you are going to make it. You just have to remember who you are. And they laughed at him. They said he's dead now. He's all done. And the devil said, look at him. I finally won. And Jesus was chilling in the grave. And the Bible said he couldn't even stay still in the grave. He got and went on down to hell and started preaching to folks and took the keys from Satan because even in hell he said hell is where I am not who I am so he got out of the grave on the third day and he said all power is 
given unto me. I am the resurrection. I am. I am the life. Can I preach to two people and tell you, remember who you are. You are the righteousness of God. You are the apple of his eye. You're the lender, not the borrower. You're the head, not the tail. You're above, not beneath. You're the righteousness of God. You are not what you did. You are not your mistakes. You are not that marriage. You are not that failure. You are not that degree. You are not that prognosis. You are not that talent. You're not the fact that you had a baby. You are not who left you. You are not that abuse. You are not that a trauma. But you are a child of God. And what you're going through is not where you are. And the last thing I'm going to tell you this morning before we eat some chicken is that if you remember who you are, then you won't be where you are for long. I said, if you remember who you are, you won't be where you are for much longer. Can I prophesy to you and tell you where you are is temporary, but who you are was before the foundations of the world. I'm not going to be here for long. So if you make judgments about me by where I mistaken because I'm going up from here. I won't be sick always. I won't be down always. I won't be discouraged always. I won't be immune always. I am somebody. Somebody say yes. Somebody say yes. Oh, somebody say yes. Please stand. Please stand. Please stand. I, I have preached far too long. They won't bother me next time, okay? God bless you. Thank you. They won't bother me next time. I'm so sorry. The attack is on your self-concept. The attack is on what you believe about yourself. Most people, the decisions that they made had nothing to do with them being wicked. They just didn't know who they were. So they either settle or they fight to try to prove. And Jesus said, look, I lived it for you so that you could know to look. Where you at, that ain't nothing. It's just where you are. And I can hold both. I can hold in one hand, this is where I am, and be truthful about that. I'm being tested, and it ain't fun. I feel like I should be there already. I don't get why God is doing this. But I also hold, this is not who I am. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. For the sake of time, I'm not going to launch into a full altar call. I'm going to do two things. The first is, I'm going to pray for someone who says, look, well, you preached, ministered to me, because I've been finding myself believing things about myself. 
thinking that this is all there is. Feeling guilty. Oh my God, I come against the spirit of guilt. There's somebody here you've been struggling and, and every day you wake up, the Lord is uh, the, the enemy is like, if you had just done more, if you had, if you had responded sooner, if you had, if you had just called, if you had, if you had just, if you had done right by that one test, uh-uh. That's the enemy. I don't care how bad you messed up. That's not who you are. I know you messed up. Don't be mad at yourself. When you know who you are, it gives you compassion for you. If you say, look, that spoke to me, just lift your hands where you are. Some of you are children still carrying guilt of your parents. You felt like um, their marriage was your responsibility. You felt like your mother's happiness was your responsibility. God wants to free you from that. That's not who you are. That's where you were. And that's where she was. Some of you feel guilt over children. They're on their own thing right now and you want to pray for them, but you can't pray for help of crying over guilt. Maybe if I hadn't fussed at him, maybe if I, I thought I raised him right, I thought, uh-uh. That ain't none of your issue to worry about. What you did in childhood in that humongous task of raising another life form, I was where you were. Some of y'all are still so busy trying to go back and undo stuff. God said, uh-uh, uh-uh, I got you. Let me love you. That ain't who you are. Hands lifted. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless you that you have released us from the spirit of guilt, from the spirit of condemnation, from the spirit of worry. This is a testing season. You're building in us an understanding of who we are. Wow. Did we have some church or what? Uh, I hope you were encouraged by that. One of my favorite parts of that sermon actually wasn't even towards the end. It was in the very beginning when we talk about how when you don't know who you are, you feel the burden to prove, right? Like you, you feel the burden to prove and everything is done from this place of I have to do this so I can be enough, right? I have to do this so that they will think I'm good enough. I have to do this so that they'll think I'm worthy. I have to do this so that I could be loved. I have to do this so that I'm, and I just, if, if there's anything I could pass on to you from my experience, I just want to be free from that weight because I know what it is to live under that weight. I know what it is to, to just be exhausted. And like, it's not, whoa, there it is. It's not the type of exhaustion that you can just sleep away. It, it is an exhaustion that can only be cured by a change in mindset, by a change in belief that I am not what I do. This is where I am. And I'm going to start to bring who I am to these spaces instead of believing that these spaces give me who I am. And so I pray that you would be free from that. Lord God, I just release that. I, I, I pray for a release that a mindset change would bring about a peace that, that, whoa, there it is. Um, for some of you listening, there there is a this is directly related to the tension that you carry in your body. 
You've been wondering why there are certain aches and, and stresses, everything from your neck to your shoulders to your upper back. Um, for some of you, even in your forehead, you've been wondering what those headaches are tied to is directly tied to this concept. It is tied to you're working so hard to to gain acceptance. You're working so hard to prove and that it's not coming from a place of fullness. It's not coming from a place of overflow. It's not coming from a place of rest. And so your body is manifesting that tension physically because it's an internal mental tension of you're you're just working so hard trying to be enough and your body's expressing that and the moment that your mindset changes your whole physicality is going to be you're just going to be like i have not felt this physically free in a long time because it's all connected thank you holy spirit for that so anyway yeah wow um i hope that you got something what i love is when you reach out to me it really um helps to decrease the barrier between us, right? Right now, um, I am sitting behind a microphone looking at my shoe rack because I record in my room. God bless these shoes. Um, but you are more fascinating than these shoes. <laughs> these shoes cannot talk back to me. I have preached these shoes many a night. I have prayed for these shoes quite a lot of nights and uh, they never seem to say anything back, but you can. And so I would love to hear how this message has impacted you. You can email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Instagram, on Facebook. Or you can go to our website at princetonparker.com and reach out to me there, okay? So again, remember, no matter where you go, thank God for that therapist who told me that. She said, this is where you are, not who you are. My blessings and peace be with you and upon you. Go live life and be free. You are somebody. You are special. You are loved. You are beautiful and you matter. With God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family. <laughs>